Welcome to another episode of Creative Distillation. Your hosts, Jeff and Brad, from the University of Colorado Boulder's Lead School of Business, discuss entrepreneurship research while enjoying fine craft beverages. Previously on Creative Distillation, Brad and Jeff conducted field research at Twisted Pine Brewing in Boulder, Colorado, speaking with Bryn Keenan, founder and CEO of Grist Analytics. They discuss Bryn's background and Grist's work in providing QC services to breweries of all sizes. This time, for our final episode of Season 4, we're still at Twisted Pine with Brad and Jeff taking questions from Lead School of Business MBA students on a number of topics. Bryn sticks around to lend her expertise to the proceedings. There's a lot to learn in this episode. Enjoy and cheers! Welcome back to Creative Distillation, where we still entrepreneurship research into actionable insights. We're still at Twisted Pine Brewery here in lovely Boulder, Colorado, and people are having a great time, as you might be able to hear in the background, because we are live <laughs> with the second annual cohort of our executive MBA program. And we are doing tonight uh, what has become a tradition. So uh, quickly, you guys know me because we just did an episode, but for those of you who, this is your first listen of Creative Distillation, you're like, holy cow, is the energy always like through the roof in the room? Is it, is it, is it always like, no, it's never ever like that at all. But I'm Jeff York, I'm the research director at the Deming Center for Entrepreneurship at the Leeds School of Business at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And I'm joined by my co-host. And I am Brad Warner and I am here to answer your questions. And I'm really here to answer your questions. <laughs> and we also have a guest. I'm Bryn with Grist Analytics. Happy to be here. Bryn was our guest in the last episode. So if you didn't listen to that, go back to it because she's running a really cool company doing analytics for breweries as they grow, letting them figure out how to run their operations more effectively and make even better beer, which is amazing because some of our clients are some of the very best breweries in Boulder, which means, yep. in my humble opinion, they're some of the very best breweries in the world. Uh, we sampled some great beers here at Twisted Pine. And now on to the main event. Wait, one thing, Jeff, before oh, we one go. Thing. One thing. Uh, so Bryn, website. Do you have a website that people can reach? Yes. Uh, uh, it's crazy like that. Wow, Brent, you, yeah. you have a website? No, no, no. I want our listeners to understand how they can It's actually... a brick-and-mortar software company. <laughs> I love you that. You've got to come to Boulder. <laughs> you know, it's here for so 1382 Pearl Street. You just go down, knock on the door, ask for Brent. Yeah, three people coding in the back. Uh, GristAnalytics.com. Awesome. I love that. I love that. Okay, so Jeff, how's our game going to roll tonight? Uh, you, you, you're going to introduce it. I made it up, so you introduce it. Okay, so uh, here's my understanding. My understanding <laughs> is that we have a group of executive MBAs. We do. And the questions I've learned get better as the drinks get uh, a little deeper. No, I don't deeper. think that's true because last year, no, let's not throw anyone under the bus here. But the questions did not get better as the drinks went well, okay. So, <laughs> wait a second. The last question was absolutely... That was her. That was Laura... That was That's last right. year's cohort. So, so if you are experiencing an existential crisis about yourself, <laughs> we can't really help you. Nope. <laughs> just about any question. But just, right? yeah, seriously, ask whatever you want, though. But yeah, right. it was, uh, and so are there any rules about? Uh, no this? rules whatsoever. No rules whatsoever. No. So all I'd okay. say, all I would say is the reason that Jeff and I do this podcast is Jeff has a lifetime based in research, and I have a, uh, an adult lifetime in uh, venture creation. And so we come from this, <laughs> uh, we come from this though at different angles. And so I'd like Jeff to, when you ask a question, first run through 
maybe relevant research that he can recall. And if you can answer a question using that, that would be really interesting. If not, I'd say just, well, kind of interesting. Uh, and <laughs> Marginally if, useful. <laughs> but if not, feel free to answer the question, and then I'll follow up. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll take turns uh, with the lead to answer the question. The other person will have a chance then to follow up if there's any maybe advice that we could uh, help you with. And, and what are we putting on the line? Last time it was a, a piece of uh, swag from the brewery of the, uh, the winner's choice, it as was. I recall. And, and should we let Brynn in on this? Like, and if so, like, we don't want to make her bias anything or like, you know. I, I got a feeling we're going to be buying swag for Brynn. Like, I'll give you $15 of equity. Whoa! <laughs> that would be my biggest stock holding, actually. Um, all right, let's do it. $15 of equity versus okay. a piece of swag from Twisted Pie. <laughs> um, so, and the way we're going to grade this is we have a very highly scientific process. Uh, we're going to take turns answering first, yep. and then at the end we will call on each person's answer, and you guys will applause, and Lori will have her, her very highly calibrated applause-o-meter. Uh, she will say who got the most applause. Yep. That person will get one point. Okay. The first person to... Let's, yeah, we got three people. We can't play the three points. We'll be here all night. You're the game master, my friend. We'll, we'll, play, the, we'll play the three points, and if we get sick of it, we'll just say whatever. All right, sound good? All right, let the games begin. All right, question. Okay. My name is Kevin. <laughs> Welcome, Kevin. I work at McDonald's. <laughs> just down the road from here. Okay. okay. So okay. I have a question. McDonald's um, is putting you through the executive MBA program? Yeah. No, it's good. That's yeah, awesome. It's, uh -huh, uh -huh. Go McDonald's. It's, Red yeah, we're Croc learning about right. DEI, and, and this is part of it. So. <laughs> okay. I am more of a scotch and wine drinker. I'm here holding a beer mm. in this event with you guys. So yep. one of the issues that I have is this whole idea of hoppy IPAs and hoppinesses and IBUs. I had asked a colleague, what does IBU mean? International Bitterness Unit. Mm -hmm. How do I explain this to somebody like myself who yeah. does not like beer very much? I have a sour in my hand because it, it, it's good. So sure. a hoppy kind of IPA, IBUs, is that an acquired taste? Like how do you acquire that taste? So I haven't quite acquired that. And what does that mean as a beer drinker to like that kind of beer versus like a stout or a, or a, a sour? Because I just can't get on board. So please, please help me. I love yeah. this question. What the hell kind of question? <laughs> Kevin, from Kevin from McDonald's. Yeah, do you think the best way to build a flavor preference is through logic? <laughs> it's... <laughs> no. We, we had a conversation at the table about... <laughs> no, it's not over yet. And so this cohort's much stronger. They went off the rails with the first question rather than the last. Didn't take one. them three questions. Yeah, no, it was like straight off. Yeah. No, no, I, I was serious answer though. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I answer that. Just <laughs> please do. Argument. Let's let's do it. Yeah, let's hear it. I'd love to hear it. Technically, you add hops, and if you add hops in the beginning of the boil, the alpha acids that come in isomerize and become bitter. So it's intentional. And then if you add hops. Uh, in a later stage of the brewing process, it doesn't add any bittering charge to the beer. It's all aroma, which is all like citrusy and fruity or piney. So convoluting uh, a hoppy beer with a beer with high IBUs can be misleading. Like you might really like something with lower IBUs, but still really hoppy because mm -hmm. uh, it's just really uh, aroma forward. But it, it came about because it's antibacterial. 
isomerized alpha acids. So when they were shipping beer really far across the world, uh, it was a way to stabilize the beer before you know other preservatives, essentially. Uh, and I think people just kind of acquired the taste out of necessity. But there are 20 bitterness receptors in your body biologically, so it makes complete biological sense that it's not something that people naturally like. What Are we done? Awesome answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So what I, from what I took from this is... Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> <We're not done. laughs> Sorry, Kevin from McDonald's, but this is a competition. You, you can give us your insights after this. First, we need to hear from Brad on this topic. Uh, this one is easy. Stick with scotch and wine. That's it. And then you will miss out on a world of flavor and adventure, Kevin. Oh, God. Um, so, as, as Brent was alluding to, the whole name of the beer comes across from the idea that the British Empire was shipping beer across to India during their colonial horrible occupation, as they are wont to do, as most colonial countries are. But they wanted to get the beer there, and so it was sort of an accidental style in a way. They weren't trying to make bitter beer. They were trying to make beer that would hold up to the voyage in the heat of India and still maintain some British flavors. Now, what happened is a bunch of people that started craft brewing in the United States got hold of that and said, by God, we're America, so we're going to make it more hoppy than them Brits. And they made a lot of really fantastic beer, basically kicked off the craft beer revolution. Uh, breweries like Sierra Nevada comes to mind for me. And then uh, there's just so many great IPAs that came from the West Coast. And then it started to become this like contest to see who could put the most bitterness into their beer. And then that got even worse when a thing called East Coast IPA came about. And they said, hey, can we make a beer that's actually painful to drink? And a, a company named Hetty Topper came up with that, more or less. <laughs> it's a beautiful beer, but everyone else has kind of uh, screwed that up. So here's the deal. What you want to do to develop this taste is you want to go to the brewery you want to say, I'm interested in a beer with a really, really interesting complex hop profile, but without a lot of bitterness. Don't worry about the IBU thing. Don't, don't even, just put that in your head. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. Sniff the beer before you drink it. What you're looking for is an aroma that probably has hints of like strawberry, maybe lemon, some watermelon, things like that. Some of the things Bren was alluding to, some kind of fruit estery flavors that you find appealing and just sip a little sample of it. And if you don't like it, don't drink it. But you will find beers with a lot of hops and a lot of flavor that are not bitter and that are appealing. But uh, the reality is you will have to go through a lot of bitter beers to get there, perhaps. <laughs> and I would also actually, I wouldn't say what Brad said, because I've, I've actually taken Brad on a bit of beer journey over the past two and a half years, I'd say. He started off where you are, and what kind of beer do you like now, Brad? I mean, I'm a lager person through and through. I, I love them, but are you guys paying 200 grand to get the answer to that question? <laughs> you just asked a couple of beer nerds like a question about beer. And one guy who really is just learning like lager. Uh, all right. So now you may now you may respond, Kevin. We just had to do our answers there. Thank you. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, thanks for your answers. So like, I think what I took from this, even after all of you spoke, is that there's people who like to eat the fruit, like an orange or a watermelon. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who like, like the orange peel and the watermelon rind. Um, so yeah, I get it. 
Okay, Thank you. Well, I guess that's a good I'd actually like to rephrase that. When you're working at McDonald's, <laughs> think about this. <laughs> Big Mac versus what a, a filet of fish. All right. right? So, so or we got, we kids' got, meal now, versus now adult is, meal. Now is the time to make your choice here, people. <laughs> but right. it's an acquired so, taste. So I, will, I will work on acquiring it. It's Thank not you. fair for me to call for this. So, Kevin, why don't you call for the applause meter uh, response to our individual answers? Yes. Would, it would, oh. Okay, Bryn. Brad. Oh. Scotch. Uh, Brad brought a ringer. The, the person that Brad has hired is cheering for Wow, that seems like you planted her. Jeff. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh. I think Brent gets a point. Yes, she does. Very clear. Yes, she does. Shocking that that would happen. Who could have seen it coming? Oh, these questions, unbelievable. Oh, right. Okay. Right. So now for a question about entrepreneurship, maybe? I don't know. Business? I have one. I have one. Oh, Hi, no, my name is... Like this, this person literally gets paid by Brad. Not <laughs> right now. These are unpaid hours. These are unpaid. That uh, chair was okay. unpaid. Okay, just because you're on unpaid hours. Uh, let's, hear, let's hear the question. Brad really wants to hear the question. Yeah. So, as a young entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur, my greatest battle is life and work balance. And I just want to know what you guys have all experienced through this. Is being an entrepreneurial life uh, takes over your life, or can you still enjoy it? And what does it look like for you on a daily basis? I think a lot of younger entrepreneurs want to know about that. Great question. I think, Bryn, you should tee it, tee it up. You're there. Yeah. Um, I, think, I feel like that's a complicated one. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like the, the life balance with the business, there are, I found that there are little things I can do to make my life like joyful <laughs> and uh, fun to live right now while I'm running a business. Like keeping my mornings clear because I know that's when I'm most productive and only taking meetings in the afternoon and not releasing new code on Friday afternoon when I know that inevitably it's going to take till 10 o'clock at night to actually get it out. Uh, and there are all these little things that are compromises that don't affect the business in a severe way, but affect my life in a pretty substantial way. And those I can make on a daily basis. But then there is this kind of element of like, maybe this is a bad way of phrasing it, but like binge and purge with the company where it's like, I, at least I, with my personality, feel like I need the times of binge to push it forward and they're inevitably a bit unhealthy. Uh, and then I balance them like with, you know, checking out for a little while. Cool. Yeah, I that's mean, it. it was really, really great. <laughs> Thanks. Right? Jeff, you want to go for it? Sure, that's fine. There's actually a lot of mounting evidence that entrepreneurship is not particularly good for people's mental health. Like, I mean, you should actually realize that. I, I think a lot of times in popular culture and in education and in business, we have a tendency to have this, in, in, this idea of the heroic entrepreneur that puts it all on the line and they sacrifice everything and that's how they succeed. And the reality is that's actually pretty accurate too. And that's why it's harmful to people's mental health because it's really hard when you're doing something that you put your whole life's work and your passion into and your identity is completely linked to it and you've got possibly family members, definitely people you care deeply about on the line caring about it. 
it's really hard to put that away at the end of the day and try to balance your mental health. And there's actually growing evidence that that is harmful. So I'm supposed to be the research guy, so I'm just telling you the research. It, it can hurt you, so you have to be careful. What do you do about that? Well, I mean, it's, it's the same mental health advice that we have for everyone about balancing their work-life balance. I think the best entrepreneurs I've known and the most successful entrepreneurs and the serial entrepreneurs I've known, and I'm not trying to blow smoke, people like Brad, um, have figured out is how to do that, but then also hold on to their family ties and their friends and keep them close to them and value those people as being really important in their lives. There's not a whole lot of research about this. This is just what I've seen through successful entrepreneurs. I think you have to very much prioritize the non-business elements of your life. I don't think you have any time to waste on non-important relationships. You don't have time to just like waste your, your non-work hours of like drinking in a bar, I mean, which we're doing right now. Um, <laughs> we're working. But we're, technically, I mean, actually, yeah, we are working right now. I, and what I mean by that is I think, uh, I think you have to really place a high value and do things that really enrich your life and give you a positive effect. Otherwise, you know, I have seen many, many people, uh, unfortunately, end up in a pretty bad place in their entrepreneurial journey. It's something to be cautious of. And I think it's uh, our responsibility to, to be honest about that. Yep. So before I answer, I just like to poll the room. And I think that that question is valid. And I think it's valid for a young entrepreneur, an older entrepreneur, and wherever you are in that stage of growth. And I just want to see, maybe make a sound or something. I, I hope that this question resonates with everyone in this room, because yep. it, it's really important. Am I correct? No, right? I think Eloise, I think you hit, it, you hit it on the head. So I can speak anecdotally to this. I am a workaholic. I am. And I've started more businesses. Uh, I've invested in more businesses than I even know. I also started, became an entrepreneur uh, when the word was considered a disease and not something that was really <laughs> cool. And my family didn't understand what I was doing. And it, it's really hard on family, especially if you're working 80 hours and you come home, uh, you know, and they, the, the kids want to go to the park or you skiing. You, right. We've all lived that. So through my life, I've learned that there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's just life. So how do you want to set up your life? And you're talking to a guy that went to his cabin for two years because I was depressed because I had partnership issues. It didn't talk to anyone for two years other than my dogs uh, and my, my direct family. I turned my phone off. So I recognize this. And actually coming to see you and working with people like you has, has greatly helped me understand what this is. Thing is, is when, you, when you're on to something, yeah. you become emotionally tied to it, yeah. right? And, and actually, it's really dangerous because you need to follow the data versus my heart is telling me this, right? Your customers need to say, hey, this is going on. So I would just, I would just, my answer is take it from an entrepreneur with every freaking battle scar that you could imagine. It's come out on the other end really well. But going through the process is extremely brutal. You have to be self-aware. You have to listen to your family uh, you have to decide what's important to you and build the life that you want to live, that you're proud of living. And I would say one of the ways to do that is work with people that inspire you. And I think that if you work with people that inspire you and really you, you love them, um, I, I think it gets you through a lot. And so uh, I guess that's my advice. Yeah. Well said, Brad. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 
Well, okay, I feel kind of bad about even doing the applause meter on that one. Because like, uh, you lose. Well, probably, I don't know. I mean, I mean your student asked the question. Yeah. You saved yourself question. for last. By, by the way, though, everyone in the room resonated with the question. Oh, of course. I mean, I do too. <laughs> right. That was a great question. It's a, it great, question. a great question. <laughs> right. Okay, applause meter I need points. Okay. Uh, okay. We'll start here. Jeff. Brad. <laughs> you had my vote. Uh, yeah, I give Brad my vote on that one too. Yeah, yeah. Next year, I'm not doing the research. <laughs> I'm sure the research actually is really strong uh, in that area, Jeff. It's actually not. It's, Hi, really, it's really just emerging. Like they're, they're, it's interesting because like... Um, Academics have the same thing. Like people that study entrepreneurship, most of them have been entrepreneurs at some point in the past. And those that haven't really think entrepreneurs are really cool. Uh, <laughs> they're like, oh my God, I've got to study these entrepreneurs. And so there's like really, really, I mean, really only in the past like couple of years have there been studies where people are taking things more from uh, organizational behavior and psychology and, and looking at the actual negative downside of entrepreneurship for people. It's not what people want to hear and read about. Right. But it's the truth. Right. And um, it's something I think we owe it to our students really to, to know about and be able to talk about. Yep. And what there isn't really good research about, I mean, we have good research showing, yeah, there are negative downsides to entrepreneurship, definitely linked with uh, depression, with mania, I mean, all kinds of mental health problems. Um, but we don't have really great research about how you solve that. So that's actually interesting, interesting yeah. opportunities. So, cool. And, okay. Next yep. question. Yep. All right. So my name is Bonnie. I'm actually trained as a nutrition scientist. Mm. I'm in the EMBA program now. And my question really is for you, Bryn, is as a scientist, who are the three most important people you've surrounded yourself with to develop a successful business? It's a really good question. I can't think of a single person who's been with me the whole time. But at every stage, I surround myself with somebody I'm very tight with and has what I need. And it seems to change, not super frequently, but fairly frequently, like depending on what stage the company is at. So like when I first started the company, I didn't know how to write a business plan. I didn't know anything about raising money. I didn't know anything about software. Like I was, knew nothing. And I surrounded myself with somebody who I just happened to know that had advised a bunch of other companies. And he was great. And he knew two software developers who were already financially successful that could do this project for equity. And at first, like, I just latched on to that first person who had what I needed. I was like, he, I don't even need to talk to him every day. I just need to know what I need to do next. And he can tell me what it is that I need to do next. And then I can Google it. <laughs> like, I just need some guidance. Uh, and then the software developers became the most important people. And they were the ones that I was just with every day and then kind of like still talking to this other person. And then we started to get traction and breweries were coming on board and it became somebody who knew a lot about partnerships that became the most important person to have close by. And I think I was like in this constant state of not going to like tech meetups and like all the startup stuff, but just like getting connected with people and I, it was just, it was a, it was an intuition when I met somebody where I was like, they have what I need next. And those people, I would give 
them what they needed to be. And usually it's just like they're happy that they can help, you know, they didn't even really need that much. And uh, yeah, and now, and now we're at the stage where we're hiring employees and we hired two employees. Uh, one of them worked out and one of them didn't after the raise and one of them, I would trust him with my life. I think that he's incredibly logical, he's very methodical, he can work through problems. The other one wasn't and it was a really painful process, but letting that person go and finding somebody for that position that was the right fit was one of the hardest choices I've had to make so far, but just so the right choice. And yeah, that's my answer is, is sort of like having a wide enough lens to know what you need in the long term, but like a narrow enough scope to be like, this is the person I need now. And like letting those relationships grow and fade as they need to. Brad, who do you think the three most important people are that Bryn has surrounded herself with? You, me, and Joel. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> Come on. Uh, that's easy. Well said, yeah. well said. I, I'll, I'll, I'll add to that that we do have an advisory board, that, yeah. and I lean on those people really, really heavily. Yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah. I've never said this publicly before, but I'm a co-founder of a company called Azumo. A-Z-U-M-O, you can all Google it. Azumo started in approximately 2010, uh, and my partner is a scientist. He is a PhD in optics from MIT and found a way to bend a physical rule. So I have a different experience when we were growing. He was the engineer, and we had an entire team of engineers, we're probably at 50 or 60, by now. I, don't, I don't even know. Um, but it was, there were four people that started the company, and we relied on each other. And so it was different for a long time. Even when we hired, we hired for specific roles. Uh, but for me, the connection was always with this brilliant inventor. And I trusted him in his intellect about inventions, engineering, and this is an optical engineering company, optics and what photons could do. And he trusted me on business and those types of things. And, and I still would say that that's my relationship with the company is that I trust this person with my life. And we've talked about starting other companies beyond this. So it was never, I think that the, the quest for knowledge and to answer questions that your company's going through at a certain stage is really important. But I've had a much longer term relationship with my partner at the business than this person could fill my needs, right? We, we would hire for some of those things. So I would say if you're a founder or a co-founder, choose your founder, co-founder, your partners very, very carefully. And you can't always vet as much, especially if you see a VC in the room, you can't vet as much as you'd like because people aren't gonna tell you things about them that happen. And I could tell you some stories offline uh, that are really incredible. So they're, they are putting on a show a little bit for you. Uh, but over time you get to know people. And I still feel that I was fortunate to meet a great friend and a brilliant person in a field totally different that I was versed in, and he trusted me to do what I did as well. So I think that, that was, for me, that's what it worked. Can I ask how you found that person? It was, it was actually random through a, a third party. Yep, just happened. All right, I'm not gonna win any points here, but I'm gonna actually answer your question. Don't surround yourself with three people. Yeah, I mean. Have one person, a partner. All of the research shows founding teams of two are more successful than single founders and especially more successful than founding teams of three. 
The reasons for this are having a partner allows you to debate those ideas. As Brad's describing, having someone from a different background is helpful as long as you have a good relationship with them. And it allows you to get them to challenge what your beliefs are about what the business should do. But having two people also lets you get to some kind of negotiated agreement, even when you disagree. And this goes way back in psychology. If you have three people, you guys know what happens? Anybody been on teams of three? Somebody loses. Exactly. And is that good when everybody's in a high-stress situation and trying to do a startup and make decisions? No, it's really not, because what happens is a whole lot of infighting and nothing gets done. Quick answer, won't win many points, but that's what the research shows. That's actually really, really cool. Yeah. And I actually believe the research, these were the cards that I was dealt, right? So I think that, that part of my success in this venture there's some luck and timing and things that are outside of your control. Oh, yeah. And the idea was so so strong, though, that the idea actually trumped those issues. And we had issues like that. Teams of three suck. Actually, partnerships of four sent me into it, it, to two years of the Northwoods. So, right, you just never freaking know. But make sure that there's somebody there that you could truly relate with, I think, is just a, a power move. Yeah, I will say that I, I'm a solo founder, and, and I have navigated my way through that. Mm -hmm. But it, gosh, it would have been nice to have somebody else there. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. But not to somebody else's. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, obviously, this is not like some ironclad rule. I'm just telling you what the research shows. Yeah. All else being equal, you're better off with two than you are with one or three. Yeah. I want to add one thing. I have a friend who was in business with four other people, and they actually hired a psychologist, and then they made him a partner in the business. Oh. That's amazing. True story. I love that. They had to. Yeah, right? <laughs> they did. They did. <laughs> They're like, are you available next Tuesday for a board meeting? <laughs> we can't afford the therapy bills anymore. We gotta bring equity partners. That's a true story. Uh, good stuff. All right. Are we doing the applause meter? I don't know. Sure. Why not? Hopefully somebody will get All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. We're gonna start with Bren. Hold on here. Okay. Bren. Bren. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> oh my god, Bonnie, you made it go. <laughs> I would like a recount. <laughs> no, Brad won that one. <laughs> well, you had a woman screaming beside you. Then <laughs> you're gonna own fifteen dollars of equity. I have a question. No, I have a question. <laughs> oh, question. She's not even a student. That's okay. We can do open, yeah, open mic night. This is a general question. Sure. My question is, what are the key lessons you've uh, learned about finding the right people for the right roles? And what are the key lessons you've learned about getting someone out of the role that they should not be in. Oh, God. That's brutal. You mean, like, okay, that second part, do you mean, like, keeping them in the company but out of the role, or do you mean just getting them out of the company? That's up to you. Okay, fair enough. All right, so. What was your name again? I'm sorry. Jennifer. I, so, Jennifer, I don't, I can't, I can't think of any good research answers. So, I could talk about my experience as an entrepreneur as a manager. What you're asking is an organizational behavior question, not an entrepreneurship question if we're talking about fields of research. I'm sure my OB colleagues could tell you all about this. I can't, because usually it's just not something to think about. But um, I think like getting the right person into the right role, the most important thing I've learned is finding a person 
you like, trust, and respect based on, of course, their accomplishments. That's how they even get in the door, right? Because otherwise, why are you talking to them if they can't show something they've done that makes them a good fit for the role? But then I think developing that personal connection with them, and I can't tell you how to do that other than spending time with them, talking to them, and talking to people who know them to try to vet them. And what I've learned, actually, is as much as humanly possible, letting them co-create or create their role rather than you dictating the role to them. When I've done that, people perform exceptionally well. Now, if, uh, if from a scientific perspective, well, you're selecting on the dependent variable, right? You're saying, well, I'm gonna pick a person for the role, this for the role. But, you know, that works a lot better in my estimation than trying to take someone who you think is talented. Like, you're a great engineer, but I really need someone to be like, you know, our chief communications officer, but I like you, so I'm gonna try to get you to do that anyway. And you take someone who's like enthusiastic about the company, but not about the role, and it just never works. I've, I've never, ever, ever seen it work. I think this is almost as much about being a leader and a manager as it is about being an entrepreneur, because I think entrepreneurs have to be leaders and managers, but leaders and managers happen in every walk of life. Uh, really understanding what the person's goals are, what they wanna achieve, what they wanna get out of this relationship, and co-creating that role together is way more effective than trying to slot people into a role, in my humble opinion. Getting people out of the wrong role? All right, so the question, first question, is this person valuable to the organization? If not, then you've just got to get rid of them. You've got to fire them. I mean, any organization. It doesn't matter if it's entrepreneurship, academia, this brewery, whatever. If you have someone who is not bringing value to the organization, better to fire them than to try to coach them over and over again. I like to try to give people one shot. Uh, after that, the guy go. Now, if they're valuable to the organization, but not in the role they're in, the question you have to ask yourself, can we afford to keep them and fill that role? If so, great. Let's try to craft a new role for them. Let's try to move them towards that. Let's move their accountability to someone else who will enjoy that role more. But, you know, most entrepreneurs don't have the luxury of that, as I'm sure you well know. But in a large organization, you can pull that off. That's my experience. I don't know what the research says. I'll ask one of my OB colleagues. I think it's a great question, and I've lived this many times. Back to anecdotal. For me, it's all about culture and values. When we're talking about hiring, we could talk, and I could specifically talk about engineers, but I could talk about, I've hired, I can't even remember how many people I've hired, but it's looking for a culture and a values fit first. Engineers, at a certain level, can have the same amount of skills, and you want them to be trainable. If they buy into your values and the values that you're setting up, uh, the first thing that I look for, I would say, is do no harm. Do no harm to your current team, <laughs> right? Great. I mean, yeah, the no assholes rule. Yeah, right. I, I mean, seriously. And you know, and, and I've never said this. Two things. Wow. Give me another beer. Um, <laughs> but, so when I'm interviewing some, someone, the first thing before we actually start about the questions about what have you d done in your life, I start talking about my dogs. And if they don't like dogs, they're not getting hired. <laughs> um, I, I don't. I don't know if that's a right or a wrong thing, but for me, I've done that because because. It, it goes to my values, but I also would say, though... Dogs that, go to your values? Yeah, I love dogs, right? <laughs> I, I, dogs I just too, but I don't consider that a value no, judgment. That's... No, 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 but it goes back to the culture. And, and, I, can, and I can give you stories. But I, I always do this. Actually, just, it's just getting to know someone, right, beyond just a job interview. This is uh, why because, you need academics, people. No. <laughs> because if you do well at, number one, the hiring, number two, the firing actually becomes much scarcer. And that's what you're trying to do because it's, it's expensive to onboard people. And so when you get them onboarded, if they resonate with your values and the team's values and the culture of the business and your mission, 
and they like dogs. Uh, <laughs> then I think that number two is much rarer, a much rarer event. So to eliminate firing, do a better job at hiring. Sometimes you feel like you need somebody today. It's much better to wait a week, a month, six months and get the right person than it is bringing someone in and having to get rid of them in two months. That's so that, that's my yeah. two cents. I 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, actually, I agree with the dog rule too. I just personally. <laughs> I've got to be honest, I hate dogs. Okay. Yeah! <laughs> I know, it's an unpopular opinion, yeah. much like session IPAs. Yeah. <laughs> Do you really hate dogs? I hate dogs. You are never getting hired. Can... I know, I know. I just, I felt like Fortunately, I she has her own now. company. She doesn't need you. Yep. Yeah, I like some of them. Okay. Yeah. I... Uh, I like I like as many dogs as I, I like cats. people, I mean, so most of them. But like some of them, I'm like I don't know about that one. <laughs> I would go like 80% dog lover, people lover. Uh, anyway, <laughs> hiring and f hiring and firing. Hiring and firing. People like dogs. Or... Talking about dogs. <laughs> anyway, I think that they had great responses, and and I I've had some recent experience with this where it was both very painful very expensive and took a very long time Ugh. to let somebody go that wasn't a good fit, especially at a stage this early. And I keep returning to this almost mantra lately when I'm thinking about who to bring on next that I want to be able to change their mind and I want them to be able to change my mind. That's great. I want them to be open enough that they can admit flaw, that they can view somebody else's perspective mm. and they can do it quickly and that they are an expert enough in their realm to provide some insight that I haven't thought about before and feel comfortable enough bringing it up to me that they can do it in you know, an eloquent way and, and, and we can make decisions fast and quickly and there's no ego. Yeah. And um, I think that so, sort of applies to yeah. any area, really. It's probably more important than their qualifications, really. Like, <laughs> it's like, more can we collaborate and but get things done, But that's values right? and culture, right? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I think it's more personality, personally. But anyway. Um, okay. I, I always had to fire a guy for carrying his firearm uh, to work. So until you fired someone who is carrying their firearm to work for fair, carrying their firearm to work while they have their firearm. Uh, you haven't really lived. Anyway, so uh, let's get to the question. <laughs> what do you let's think, Jennifer? Did we, did we help you or did we answer your question? Or, I, think, I think your answers are great. I just wonder about the person that they love cats. <laughs> <laughs> I love cats. <laughs> okay, time to, time to right, vote. Applause the mirror. Let's do it. So, Jeff. <laughs> Screaming, get her over there. <laughs> uh, me, I guess I was second. Okay, dog hater. His TA is. <laughs> his TA is sitting right by the mic. <laughs> Yeah! Oh, there's the Russian job. But, but we gotta wrap this up. And I think Brad actually already won two rounds. Uh, thanks to the screaming lady over there, right? Uh, it's really close. It was really close. Brad has gotten two, so so you owe Brad fifteen dollars in equity. <laughs> I'll have the lawyer. Uh, I owe Brad a piece of swag from Twisted Pine Brewery. <laughs> hey, you guys awesome. have been a, a great audience. Thank you very much. We appreciate you doing. Thank this. you.
It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. You are infinitely better than the first cohort because uh, you're now filling out FCQs on me next semester, and the last cohort is done with that. Uh, so yeah, they, they weren't very good. You guys clearly far more intelligent, hardworking, and and I, I must say a much more attractive group as well. Um, so uh, so thank you for joining us on Creative Distillation. We hope you've had a fun evening. We certainly have, and that's a wrap for season four, Brad. Wow, it went fast. What a way to go out, man. Uh, you as a two-time winner. I'm winning this damn thing next year, I swear. Next year we're bringing a trophy. Yeah, we. oh yeah, we can have a trophy. We could be like our, our research director, Eric, who like likes to have a trophy for being the loser of things. And then like take pride in the scrappiness and creativity of the solution. Yeah, anyway, we aren't doing that. Uh, it's been an awesome season, Brad. You're Dude, good, cheers. You're a good friend. I've enjoyed yeah, hearing your answers. you are too. Cheers. Brad, it's been awesome hanging cheers. out with you. Thanks, Brad. And, uh, you know, we'll, you, we'll get you a love dog someday. Yeah. Uh, that's it for Creative Distillation. I'm Jeff York. Uh, Co-host is Brad Werner. Yep. Uh, here as always. And uh, we hope you enjoyed season four. We'll be back in season five. And uh, it's going to be a wild ride, I think. Cheers. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Creative Distillation, recorded in front of a live audience at Twisted Pine Brewing in Boulder, Colorado. Learn more and order merch at twistedpinebrewing.com. Learn more about Bryn Keenan at gristanalytics.com. We hope you enjoyed season four of Creative Distillation. We are already working on season five and look forward to returning with more spirited tastings and the latest findings in entrepreneurial research. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your feedback and ideas. Email us at cdpodcast at colorado.edu. And please be sure to subscribe to Creative Distillation wherever you get your podcasts. The Creative Distillation Podcast is made possible by the Deming Center for Entrepreneurship at the University of Colorado Boulder's Leeds School of Business. For more information, please visit deming.colorado.edu, that's D-E-M-I-N-G, and click the Creative Distillation link. Creative Distillation is produced by Joel Davis at Analog Digital Arts. Our theme music is Whiskey Before Breakfast, performed by your humble hosts, Brad and Jeff. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here for another episode of Creative Distillation. If you've enjoyed this episode, you may also enjoy Leeds Business Insights. Check them out at leeds.ly slash LBI podcast.